The Gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread all through the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Gospel for today is very rich but it's really kind of part one of two. Because it's a rather long, <coughs> excuse me, because it's a rather long reading, the whole of this encounter is, is going to be divided up between this week and next week. And so I'm not going to preach on the gospel. In fact, the sermon title in the bulletin will be wrong for today because Pastor Bill is going to take that and really flesh that all out. So you can go back and look at the video next week and get the gospel reading again, or, you know, just do the old-fashioned, open up your Bible, and look at it before next week, because we'll have part two next week, and you can anticipate the wonderful insights that will be coming to you as the word is preached that day. I want to focus today on 1 Corinthians, our 1 Corinthians text, our other reading today. And, you know, so many times when there's a reading, there's a need for an explanation, you know, a parable of Jesus, or you know, about farming, and we have to talk about what that looked like in the first century, or, you know, the culture of hospitality in the first century. But not today. Three-year-olds understand that they have a body, and they understand the parts of their body. Kids are actually pretty curious about, about all kinds of things about their body. In fact, I spend a fair amount of time with teens and preteens, and they can be pretty curious about, you know, the noises that their body makes, and all kinds of things, but we won't go into that today. Thankfully, Paul doesn't enter that part. But one needs only go for a hike in new boots, or bite into a hot piece of pizza and burn the roof of your mouth, to understand that the least thought about, the most taken for granted parts of the body, can become the only thing we think about if they're crying out to us. Maybe there's even a lesson in the simple fact that when a part of our body cries out, our attention to it is what brings healing. Soldiering on or blaming that part of the body. I know some of you do this. I've done it before too. Like, oh, I'd just like to take this knee and throw it away or whatever it might be, right? But that doesn't help. Soldiering on, blaming the part leads to scarring. It leads to a recurrent injury a lot of times. 
I could spend a long time letting just that point sink in, I think. Couldn't you? So often under stress or challenge, our move is either to ignore a part of the body crying out or to blame the part of the body that's crying out. And there's certainly plenty of that going on. Well, ignoring and blaming and isolating is a theme in the new Disney movie Encanto. Now, I'm usually a little resistant to use Disney movies or analogies and sermons because Walt Disney strikes me as a little bit odd, having some serious mommy issues, right? Rule number one, if you're invited to try out for a Disney movie, don't try out for the part of the birth mom. At best, you'll be in a flashback of yourself dying, right? Mommy's, the mom is always, the good mom is always eliminated somehow, often never even on the stage. And Walt Disney seemed to have a penchant for marrying off princesses at 16 years old, which I think is a little weird too. But anyway, Encanto seems to take a little bit of a different direction than that. In fact, it seems to have caught on with a lot of our youngest members, the youngest members of this body of Christ. And perhaps for good reason, because I think it does a pretty good job of preaching 1 Corinthians 12 in kind of a new and interesting way. In the movie, we're interested in introduced to these characters who have these incredible gifts. They're, they're really superpowers, actually. They all come from this miraculous candle that was given to their matriarch when she was a young woman escaping attackers in her native Colombia. Even the house that they live in is miraculous. But under the, the surface of this superpowered and, and perfect and miraculous family, there are these cracks that start to emerge in the perceived perfect lives of the family members and even in the house, this magical house itself. In fact, in one of the songs, Luisa Madrigal, whose superpower is this amazing strength, she can carry like seven donkeys at a time and lift up boulders and crack them over her head and all this kind of stuff. Certainly a superpower. She admits that she is under the constant pressure of carrying the weight of the family on her shoulders. In her theme song, she laments. Listen to these words. She's, I'm not going to sing it because I'm not a mezzo-soprano. But uh, she says, under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. And then she goes on to say, pressure like a grip, 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 and it won't let go. Pressure like a tick, tick, tick till it's ready to blow. Give it to your sister. Your sister's stronger. See if she can hang on a little longer. Who am I if I can't carry it all? If I falter, who am I? Whoa. Another member of the family is Isabella Madrigal, and she is the perfect daughter. If there's a princess in this movie, she's it. She is so beautiful and perfect, in fact, that her superpower is that she is actually able to generate beautiful flowers wherever she goes. And yes, she is promised in marriage to the perfect prince. He's kind of a prince-like member of the town. He's not actually a prince. Oh, well, at least she's 21, okay? And spoiler alert here a little bit, the marriage doesn't go through anyway. But Isabella, too, is cracking under the weight of this perfection. She's not carrying everything necessarily. In fact, she's kind of isolated in her room that is filled with all these beautiful roses and other flowers. But she too feels that her power is almost like a curse that has her trapped 
in a mold out of which she cannot break. In fact, this perfection seems to permeate this whole family until they become so afraid of messing up or, or so rigid, and even with their community so unapproachable, they are bound to crack. Add to this the most infamous member of the family, Bruno, who is cast into hiding because he sees the inevitable and inconvenient future. That's his superpower. He can kind of see what's going to happen. Bruno is so ostracized for telling the truth, he's kind of like the prophet in the family of God here, but he's, there's actually a song in the movie called We Don't Talk About Bruno. Do you have a Bruno in your family? Family secrets? We don't talk about? We don't talk about that mistake? We don't talk about that person? And yet Bruno stays just out of sight, literally behind the walls of the house, longing for a connection to his family, longing for his gift to go away so he can live the lie of perfection as long as it gives him the acceptance of his family. This whole perfect family in many ways is isolated. And ironically, they need to be broken before they can find true connection with each other and especially with the wider community, which is really kind of the truly beautiful ending to the story, but I won't ruin it for you. Well, Paul seems, or Paul speaks to a little bit different kind of a family, but with some of the same issues going on. In fact, these issues kind of affect, I think, all people of all places and times. And it beca- can be kind of easy for us to read 1 Corinthians 12, this, this chapter here, and put his words into the category of kind of striving after your own gifts and appreciating the gifts of others. Let's Let's do, a, let's do a gift inventory. Let's figure out where everybody's gifted and let's get together and kind of celebrate all those gifts. And of course, that is a big part of this chapter and what Paul is saying here. And it's very beautiful and very approachable imagery of a body with all kinds of different parts. And in this beautiful language of connection and interdependence, I am tempted to think, yes, yes, let me get my gift right and really appreciate those of everyone around me. Let me be a part of creating this perfect community. And again, there may be a bit to that here. After all, Paul's been going on and on about the behavior of this community, and he has a lot to cover. This may sound completely foreign to you, but this diverse community has all kinds of ways of trying to stand out, of of needing to stand out in such this metropolitan area with all kinds of influences and all kinds of information and all kinds of ideas. They feel the need to be heard as individuals, to stand out, and so some are interrupting worship by babbling loudly in tongues that nobody else can understand. Members are bragging about who baptized them because that person was way better than the person who baptized you. Were you baptized by Pastor Jonathan? Oh! Oh, wait, well, I was baptized by Pastor Bill. Well, you may not remember Pastor Paula, but she baptized me. Oh, well, I was baptized by one of the ancient pastors of this place. These folks in Corinth are abusing the freedoms that they have been given. The rich among them are having feasts and leaving the poor nothing but their own scraps, and then they're calling it the Eucharist of Christ. And there are all kinds of other horrible things that are going on in this community. 
Paul, kind of like Bruno in the movie, has much truth to tell them, much correction to give them. I mean, I can't imagine such a broken society of people, right? Wrapped in their own flags of income, race, national identity, political party, etc. That must have been terrible. Good thing we have evolved. And that doesn't happen anymore. And so Paul has much correction to give, and he does that. He's pretty direct with the Corinthian community. <clears throat> but not so much here. Not so much in chapter 12. Things kind of change gears. And next week you'll hear in chapter 13, which I think might even be the second part of this particular chapter, that you'll hear that again as well. Paul will belt out what truly does unify. In the midst of our arrogant pronunciations of perfection and in the cracks that shake our foundations and threaten to swallow us whole, leaving us with an overwhelming sense of insecurity. You see, the body is not ours to perfect. Yes, we do live out our gifts in that body, but it isn't ours to perfect. It already is perfect because this body is Christ. Christ has enveloped all of us into his body, and we are members of that body. <clears throat> Paul doesn't say you might be members of that body, or Paul doesn't say, you know, if you do these things I've been talking about, you will be members of this body. Paul says in the midst of all that junk that I've been talking about with you, all of these terrible things that are going on, all of these things that are affecting you, that are in your control, that are out of your control, all of those things are real, but you are still members of the body of Christ, and nothing can take that away. It's beautiful how Paul is able to make his point. On one hand, he talks to the folks that from the place of arrogance, you are not able to cancel out other members of the body any more than you are to say, well, gosh, I sure like my arm more than my leg. I guess I'll have three arms and, no, and you know, one leg or four arms and, and no legs. That's ridiculous, of course. Just as ridiculous as it is to have the kind of arrogance that would cancel out others in this body of Christ. But Paul also beautifully takes it from the other side as well. If we see ourselves as, you know, an ear and not a mouth or a foot and not an eye, we can't cancel ourselves out either. If we are, see ourselves as, you know, like Bruno sort of hiding behind the walls saying, well, geez, my gift doesn't really matter or, or, or you know, I'm, I'm out to pasture now or whatever it might be or I'm too young. Paul says, no, 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 no. You can't take it from that angle either. You are worthy in the body of Christ. Even if you're your identity or your gifts have changed, even if, if in the midst of things you can't control, you feel out of control or not sure where to plug in. There is a place for you in this body. Because everyone's identity, everyone's gift is wrapped up in this all-encompassing presence of Christ, and that's what makes this body one. I love the ways I see that in the church. I love the quote that we heard one time at the National Youth Gathering where the, the pastor said, you know, my goal was to create a church where when someone walked in, they would, they would think to themselves, I have no idea what in the world these people have to do with each other, right? Like, why in the world would these 
different kinds of people from different walks of life and incomes and political understandings and social understandings and why they would be unified in some way. It's really unique in our society, the church. I hope we can all value that. It's a beautiful message for the imperfect and those who strive for perfection, for those who think they are the only ones that fit, and for those who don't think they fit at all. That's our reality and promise. And so as we live into that, I think maybe the question we have of unity is not so much, you know, why can't we all just get along? But, ra but rather, if this is the rich and diverse body of Christ, the, the, the creation that God calls good, this diverse creation that God calls good, then what is stopping me from making space for this person? What is stopping me from making space for this person's perspective, from listening to them without needing to hear the sound of my own voice or without being anxious about what they might bring to this place. In our mission to connect more to Christ and to love Kitsap, part of doing that is to be enriched by the gifts that are brought in to this place. The reality is that we are part of this body as a promise and that our gifts, as much as they might change or be challenged, as much as they might have to be adjusted in the midst of, of the things that affect around us or within us. They are a value and they are part of this body that we share. Thanks be to God for this promise today, especially today. Amen.